With midterm elections heating up, we talk election integrity. Are the problems of 2020 fixed, or will your vote be canceled out by the elites? Remember that vaccine the Biden regime tried to force on America? There could be major health problems associated with it that big tech and big pharma are trying to hide from you. Plus, could big government steal your home on a whim? If that sounds crazy to you, you might want to stay tuned to this edition of The Midnight Ride. It's Monday, October 17th, 2022, and we are three weeks out from the midterm elections that could decide the fate of America. You're listening to your home for misinformation, disinformation, also known as The Truth, the Midnight Ride podcast with Paul Runyon and Connor Coughlin. I'm joined by my good friend, Paul. How was your week, Paul? Good week, although I'm realizing that it is difficult every week doing these midnight podcast with you. You know, it's kind of messed with my sleep schedule. So, you know, I was like, geez, I, I got, I drink a lot of coffee. Let me just put it that way. And little did I know, I heard a speech from Joe Biden that the Inflation Reduction Act calls for tax credits on coffee machines. So going right out there, I went, <laughs> I went ahead and it ran out and and uh, trying to get that tax credit. I don't quite know how I'm going to get it. It seems to be nowhere in the bill, just in that Biden speech. Well, well, then you found out that this is only the solar and wind power coffee machines, right? I think that's what it is. And I think it's only for really high-end espresso and cappuccino that they drink on Martha's Vineyard. I don't think it actually works for the everyday American drinking Mr. Coffee. It's only... Really, it's coastal elite coffee machines is what the tax credit is for. Now, Paul, are you drinking from a Mr. Coffee machine or are we talking, you know, one of those uh, ones with the pods that you put in there? Uh, that's a great question, but not something I'd like to focus on at this moment. <laughs> well, you do drink a lot of coffee. Um, <laughs> yeah, and, and we do. I, t I do this show late just to when with the kids and the dog are sleeping so we can be uninterrupted and also it's a good time to pour through all the all the election news and and uh and that's what we're going to focus on here in this first segment we have been talking about this for a year and one of the things that i have been saying has been good news a result that was good out of 2020 is that it brought more focus on the idea of election integrity and i believe if you go back all the way back to the 2000 election between george w bush and Al Gore, that just about every election since, but from the time that Gore disputed that election and went to the Supreme Court, and just about every election since, with the exception of John McCain and Mitt Romney, who had a little bit of dignity and sense, you either had somebody complaining about the results and saying it was unjust, or saying that they were going to do that if they lost, such as Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, but you had Donald Trump, you had Al Gore, John Kerry, there were just, it's almost a given that the election results are going to be disputed or pre-bunked in saying, hey, this thing isn't going to be fair. Whoever the loser is, is just going to say that there was election irregularities. No one is conceding anymore. No. It's just all being blamed on some sort of, you know, fraud or irregularity. No, and they talk about January 6th, and frankly, 
I've given my opinions on that. I think that it was not an insurrection, but it was an expression of the rage that people felt and the helplessness that they felt when, you know, they thought that there were huge irregularities. But Well, and let's remember too, Connor, in in all of these at countless January 6th hearings, I mean, regardless of how it happened or whatever, there's still no hard evidence connecting Donald Trump to January 6th, none. It's, I mean, they've, you know, obviously this is just a show trial, so. Well, I think, yeah, and I think it's just people who were fed up, but nobody talks about 2016. And after Trump's victory, all of the rioting, and I mean, they had to call in the National Guard then. There was a lot, of, there was an expression of rage from the left. And democracy is not sustainable if every election you have people saying that there was Russian interference or that the election was stolen by cheating. We need election integrity so that both sides, the Democrats and the Republicans, have faith in the result. Because if we don't have that, ultimately, it could lead to violence. You're right. And they, I mean, if you look at the surveys and polling that's been out there, the overwhelming majority of Americans from both parties want secure elections. They want common sense restrictions like that you need to have an ID to go vote, um, that there have to be some sort of verification that you're, you are who you say you are. I mean, that's supported by everybody. So it makes sense to me that states put rules in place that require that because it's the only way that people are going to have faith. That whole argument that the left makes that if you don't, you know, if you require an ID that marginalized populations can't vote, I mean, that's just made up. I mean, that they're just, that's just an excuse to, you know, have legalized cheating. So they either want legalized cheating or they want to have as many people as possible able to be manipulated into going or paid in some cases into going in and voting. And yes, I, I said that. Yeah, you're right, Connor. And, and, you know, there were a lot of developments recently. I mean, there was one I saw in Arizona, there was a group called the Public Interest Legal Foundation, which is actually a conservative election law nonprofit. They filed six lawsuits in uh, Minnesota counties, over 515 duplicate registrants. Also in New York, they found that 3.1 million registered voters in New York were missing personal identifying information like driver's license numbers or social security numbers, which are required by the state. And those were not on the ballots. And it makes it almost impossible for the state to accurately maintain the voter rolls. You know, so, I mean, whether that's incompetence, which... It's very, it's hard to ever say that there's like some grand conspiracy, but it's very easy to say that somebody fills out their, you could easily have people filling out voter registration forms without their personal information on it and doing it multiple times. I mean, they gave one example where you could, you could fill it out twice, one with your middle initial and one with your full middle name and have it be counted as two ballots. And then you can vote twice in the state of New York. So, I mean, that, those are the kind of loopholes and the kind of things that need to get cleaned up. And if you were to go to the voter rolls of your local community, you would no doubt find people who have moved away or who are dead, and they could still vote somehow in this coming upcoming election. The good news is 17 states, at least 17 states, including Georgia and Tennessee and Wisconsin, a lot of these other states, some of them are battleground states, have passed laws that have restored some semblance of election integrity while at the same time expanding voting hours and access. In fact, the, the Georgia law 
which was very controversial, at least for the Democrats, because it requires voter ID and other things. President Biden called it Jim Crow on steroids. They are going to this tired narrative of, you know, racism somehow, which I want I want to lead. That leads us into our tweet of the week. Our tweet of the week is from 21-year-old Christian conservative Ethan Walton, who comes from the great state of Mississippi. And you can follow- And not a bot. We're, we don't think, not a bot. No, right? this kid's not a bot. In fact, he actually posts okay. his videos on there. Very impressive young man. You can follow him at Ethan Walton, capital A-T-H-E-N, Walton, like John Boy and the Waltons. His tweet says- <laughs> You just gave away your age. Yeah, yes, I, yes, I did. <laughs> 100, 130. <laughs> so here's the, here's the tweet. Why are Democrats so against election integrity? They were the ones whining about Trump allegedly cheating to win in 2016. Shouldn't they want election integrity? Instead, the Democrats actively made it all caps easier to cheat in elections with mail-in ballots. Kind of backwards, right? That's the way of the Democratic Party. And I love this. Twitter puts this big orange triangle with an exclamation point says misleading, misleading. Learn why election experts say voting by mail and absentee voting in the U.S. are safe and secure. Click here to find out more. And the tweet cannot be replied to, shared, or liked. I mean, I don't even know why Twitter can even make a blank statement, a, a blanket statement like that about mail-in voting in the United States because every state is different. How can you say that mail-in voting without any kind of signature verification, which happens in states like California and others, how they can say that that's safe and secure, I have no idea. So it seems to me like the, the misinformation is coming from Twitter. I mean, in some states it is safe and secure, in some states it isn't, and it just is on the, on the state law. Oh, you're absolutely right, Paul. I mean, how about California sending out unsolicited ballots with the party affiliation on the outside of the envelope to people. I mean, if somebody went on a vacation for two weeks and you had an unscrupulous postal worker or just somebody going around checking mailboxes, they could grab those ballots and mail them in. I mean, I had a friend of mine, a friend of mine in Los Angeles got five ballots at his house for five different people from all the people that used to live there. And he could have filled all of them out and sent them in. That does, yeah, I mean, doesn't that make it easier to cheat in elections? It absolutely does. You mentioned Arizona, and I wanna, I wanna talk about a case there because I saw that movie 2000 Mules twice, which is fascinating. And if you haven't seen it, you should. Talks about things like mail-in balloting and drop boxes. But Thursday in Arizona, a judge sentenced a 66-year-old school board member and the former mayor of the small border city of San Luis, Arizona, to 30 days in jail for ballot harvesting. Now, this woman was sitting at, and this is from Yuma County Superior Court Judge Roger Nelson. She said, listen, I am not a criminal. And the guy goes, no, you are a criminal. You committed a criminal offense. I don't think you recognize that, and that's the problem that I have. She was sitting at a, at a table outside of a polling place for the Democratic primaries in, or the primaries in 2020. And her partner co her, and co-defendant, Alma Juarez, came up to her and handed her four ballots, which, you know, if you read the stories on this, were valid ballots and signed by qualified voters. The votes were counted, but she took those and, and brought those inside, which was in violation of state law. State law says you have to be a relative or a caregiver to handle 
someone else's ballot. And let me tell you that in all of the border states in the American Southwest, there is a widespread practice of ballot harvesting. And people are either manipulated, like we saw in Wisconsin in the nursing homes where people are so old and and out of touch, they don't really know what's going on. They sign the ballot, but the other people fill it in for them, or they're outright paid. And so this law exists. It absolute, there absolutely need to be laws like this. She's going to jail for 30 days. But if you look at all the news coverage, they say, well, this is the only case of this that has ever been prosecuted. The Democrats want you to believe that this sort of thing doesn't happen. It's not prosecuted very much in, in this case Thursday. Well, it's like a mind trick. It's like anytime anything like that makes the news, they just say, oh, that's isolated. So, you know, the people that are sort of watching that news are like, oh, okay, it's just isolated. And then they believe it. It's just another way of this, the way you twist information and share it with people. But it is getting more. I mean, you, I mean, in Arizona, just recently, there was this organization called Restoring Integrity and Trusts in Elections, which is uh, another, it's an election nonprofit actually formed by Steve Wynn, you know, former CEO of, uh, you know, the, the casinos, but really well-known businessman as well as uh, Carl Rove. And, you know, the goal of the organization is to support faithful enforcement of valid, properly enacted, and adopted laws and regulations that promote secure, efficient, and accurate elections. And apparently, there was a push in Arizona to get on the ballot an organization that was trying to get rid of voter ID Uh, gut the voter ID requirements and make ballot harvesting legal, reducing barriers to non-citizen voting, loosening safeguards on absentee ballots, and implementing same-day registration. That was going to go as a ballot initiative in Arizona. Whether it would have passed or not, I don't know. And uh, they had to get a lot of signatures. And apparently these signatures were analyzed. Uh, Apparently over 200,000 signatures were deemed defective, often because of fraud and dishonesty during the signature collection process. And it was a big victory. It's not going to be on the ballot. But that just shows what these organizations are going to. I mean, potentially, from what they're saying, there could have been 200,000 signatures made up to try to get something like this on the ballot, gutting the election laws. So, I mean, this is like a fight that's going on all over the place in every state. And it's not widespread because people are obviously trying to make ballot harvesting legal right now. They are. The Democrats really rely on this. Remember that H.R. 1, the first bill that they tried to pass with this new Congress and this president and vice president was called the For the People Act, the federalization of elections that would eliminate our power as Californians, Floridians, People from any state had to have their own voice in their governance. They wanted to federalize the election process, and they are opposed to the laws that we've seen passed by all of these states. They absolutely, this is one way that the elites maintain control is with uninformed voter. Same day registration? How do they get people who just wake up on November 8th, or if you're a Democrat listening right now, your your day to vote is on November 9th. How do they wake up this day and go, oh, I forgot to register. Let me go do that. No, it's obviously that, that somebody is seeing them at a strip club or Target or whatever, Walmart, and say, hey, have you registered yet? Have you voted? And what are they getting to induce them to do that? I know it could be. I mean, it's 
who know here to have a gift card, right? Yeah. I mean, we don't even, it could be anything and we just don't know. And there's, you know, there's one more piece that sort of made its way legally into some of states, some states that are, you know, that's impacting election integrity. And in, in my belief, I think it could be even unconstitutional. And that's this whole new trend of ranked choice voting. I don't know if you've seen it. Uh, it actually happened in Alaska, and that's how they elected a Democrat. Um, the way it works is that voters, they sort of rank, instead of like voting for who you want, you rank the candidates that you want, like mm -hmm. in, in order, right? Like during a primary, for example, or anything else. So you could have multiple people on one ballot. So you could have like two Republicans, two Democrats, and then you rank everybody. And then, so what happens is, if like no if no candidate wins a majority of first place votes then the lowest ranked candidates eliminated and then those votes are redistributed based on each voter's second place picks so uh and the process of elimination is repeated so it's like it's like weighted like the number 1 is weighted higher than and the number 2 yeah but what happens is if somebody only chooses if like let's say Connor Coughlin goes and says, you know, I don't like any of these candidates, right? I only want to vote for one person. So you don't have a second place choice. If you're, if that person you voted for is eliminated, then the ballot's tossed out. So on the next round, you don't even, you don't have a choice. So in other words, your vote become, you become disenfranchised. So unless you follow the exact system and rank a choice, you're disenfranchised which to me seems unconstitutional. But that's what happened in 2022 in this Alaska election. So was it, this was a special election for Alaska's only House district, right? It's the one where Sarah Palin ran. Don Young, who had been in that seat for more than 40 years, died. And they had the special election. Democrat Mary Peltola, a Native American, she won. And Sarah Palin and Nick Begich the third were in there, and uh, this is like where Tom Cotton tweeted out the day after Peltola was named the winner that sixty percent of the people voted for a Republican, but thanks to this convoluted process and ballot exhaustion, which disenfranchises voters, a Democrat quote won. That's another point. Well, what happened? I mean, just so you know, what there were eleven. 1,222 ballots were thrown out after the first round of tabulation, which is, and those were all people that had voted, say, for a Republican first, like only Sarah Palin and no one else. And then those all got thrown out. And then that allowed Piltola, who only had 48.4% of the votes cast, it, it allowed her to be able to claim a winning margin of 51.5%, even though that majority didn't even exist. So, I mean... The, the, Cotton, <laughs> I think Cotton is correct. And by the way, you know, there's all sorts of fact-checking on his claims and all... Well, I think I would... And don't, give me... I think Paul Runyon is correct also, don't you? I mean, No, absolutely. You know, <laughs> Paul Runyon first and foremost... But when Cotton tweeted that out, there were all the, you know, the misinformation banners. And all. That's, that's kind of like here at the Midnight Right. When you hear that term, that means you're treading on dangerous ground. You're speaking the truth a little bit too much. But it's absolutely right. Ballot exhaustion. If I got to sit there and go through it and rank it, I, mean, I might be in that voting booth for 
20 minutes. I don't might not have that kind of time. Well, also, you shouldn't be required to vote for people that you don't like. Yeah. You know, I mean, you should vote for the candidate that you want, and that vote should be counted. It should not get thrown out on like a second or third round or whatever it is. That's not how, how you should be able to do voting. And now it's on, I mean, this is going to be on the ballot in Nevada. So Nevada is not ranked choice, but there's going to be a ballot initiative where voters will decide if they want to join the ranked choice. And it's interesting that Nevada this year is one of the biggest swing states. So these organizations are trying to get this all over the country, which I think, as we know, is going to completely distort voting. I don't hang in the circles that you do, but I do have a friend in Massachusetts who is a very smart individual, sort of on the elite side, and he's not on our political side of, of things either. Well, yeah, because I was wondering why would a smart individual want to live in Massachusetts? But Well, he's he's affiliated with one of the sports franchises there, but, but uh very, very smart individual, but he's all about ranked choice voting. He thinks it's the greatest thing ever. And, you know, I think I think that is a tool of the elites and all of this election integrity stuff is going against the will of the elites. But it's not about that. It's about the will of the people. We're happy to see states trying to restore some sanity to the process. And uh, we'll be curious to see how that manifests itself and plays out on November 8th. Speaking of bringing sanity to the con to the process, the COVID-19 vaccines, we want to talk about it because there have been some new developments in the news that you're not going to want to miss. And we'll talk that next on the Midnight Ride. Paul, in a couple of weeks, people are going to be going to the voting booths and they're going to be thinking about things like crime, inflation, the border, all of the issues. The one thing that I would like them, though, to be thinking about as well when they go into that ballot voting booth is COVID-19 and what happened in 2021 after Joe Biden and the Democrats took control of power, specifically these mandates of the COVID-19 vaccine, whether it was Pfizer or Moderna, the two main ones. It was mandated for all corporations who had more than 100 employees, that one did not stand. It was mandated for healthcare workers, that did stand. It was mandated for our armed forces, and many great patriots and lethal warriors were drummed out of service. And the president himself said, this vaccine will stop the spread of COVID. This week, we just found out from the CEO of Pfizer, and of course, we know that 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 was a lie, that the vaccine does not stop the spread of COVID. But we found out this week from the CEO of Pfizer himself, they never even tested to see if it could stop the spread. I mean, what a bombshell. I know, it is huge. And I will say that if if there's a, a vaccine that supposedly reduces the amount, of, you know, like if it keeps you from getting COVID, like if you know, if you take the vaccine and then it's sort of your antibodies kick in and you don't really get it, then I guess you're not going to spread it as much to somebody. So I guess it could theoretically be a follow-on effect, although we saw later that that wasn't the case at all because it's just spreading throughout the community and every, it makes no difference whether you're vaccinated or not. It just shows that the public officials at that time were just so eager to say anything about taking that vaccine, that the truth didn't even matter whatsoever. And what was even more alarming is that, you know, and this I saw from just the news, 
and uh, John Solomon, who I think a lot of folks uh, see this actually by Greg Piper. But this revolving door situation of what's been happening between the government and the pharmaceutical groups is really alarming. So have you seen, do you, do you know who Scott Gottlieb, do you remember him? That name sounds really f- familiar. Was he the, the head of the Food and Drug Administration or somebody in the Food and Drug Administration before under Trump? Yeah, so he was the commissioner of the FDA. Uh, he was a Trump appointee. So this really goes both ways. I mean, I'm not claiming. The only difference that I really see between the two parties on this one is like a a vaccine mandate or a non-vaccine mandate. But that is like the huge difference, especially when the vaccine itself has not been been fully tested. It's everything we stand for on the Midnight Ride, choice and liberty. Exactly, exactly, choice and liberty. But so he was the the administrator of the FDA. Um, he He left in 2019, so before COVID, he joins the board of Pfizer. You know, for those of you, I don't know how much, I watch CNBC a lot. Interesting timing for when. Yeah, right. I know, interesting timing. So I watch, uh, so, you know, he's always on CNBC as former FDA commissioner, you know, as an expert. No one really talks about the fact that he's on the board of Pfizer, right? So he leaves FDA, goes to the board of Pfizer, COVID hits. Then all of a sudden he's sending letters to the White House, you know, as a past, uh, you know, as an expert, as the former FDA commissioner, mm-hmm. urging vaccine mandates. So it's really interesting that you've got somebody like this saying, you know, as an expert, we have to mandate the vaccine, but he's on the board of the company that's going to make all the money from it. I mean, that right there is just the revolving door. And furthermore, he's trying to, to force Twitter, Scott Gottlieb, himself is trying to force Twitter to kick Alex Berenson off its platform when he's questioning the vaccine. And I don't know if, I mean, Connor, you want to give a little quick background on the Alex Berenson situation? We talked about it a few weeks ago, but um, this is really important because they're getting pressure from, you know, from Scott Gottlieb at Pfizer about this, who is also in the government. The whole thing just stinks to high heaven. Yeah, Alex Berenson was a, (laughs) I, I don't- New York Times, yeah. I don't know his his full credential, but I think he was with the New York Times. And he was on Twitter regularly citing information with other countries, such as Sweden and Israel and different ways that folks were combating COVID-19, whether it was the way that Sweden went, which was trying to develop herd immunity, much like what the 18,000 or so physicians who signed the Great Barrington Declaration espoused, which was, listen, we we have to protect the vulnerable, but everybody else needs to just live their lives. Berenson was pointing out problems with the vaccine from day one and citing things that had to do with myocarditis in in adolescent males and other things. And he got banned by Twitter. So uh, Gottlieb uh, got what he wanted. It's always a problem when- Now, Berenson did have subsequential lawsuit and he's gotten reinstated in a settlement with Twitter um, when it actually came out that the current government, that people in government now, in addition to people like Scott Gottlieb, were pressuring Twitter, which really turned out to be a violation of his First Amendment rights. So it took a very long time. But but this revolving door situation, this, this really right here is the huge problem of 
people going into government and then going to private sector. It's no different than someone working at the Pentagon and then going to work for Boeing and winning contracts, right? I mean, the whole thing is, this whole issue is is something that needs to be raised. Absolutely. I mean, we used to call it the, the no colonel or no general left behind program. They walk out in camis on Friday and they're, we- they're wearing a three-piece suit on Monday. I mean, to some extent, you want to keep expertise because you do have a lot of smart people leaving the military or leaving government. But in the, in the public health sector, it, it, it is very problematic. And we have seen the NIH and the FDA and all of these organizations fail miserably on COVID. By the way, Alex Berenson was just one of the more prominent vo- voices, but you continue to see voices being silenced. And a great example of that was two weeks ago or two or three weeks ago when the Surgeon General of the state of Florida tweeted out something that, you know, our state does not recommend men between the ages of 18 and 39 taking the, or maybe it was even younger than 18, maybe it was like 16 and 39, taking the vaccine. There have been a lot of problems with young, healthy males. It's being more at risk, according to, um, I think his name is Ladapo, the Surgeon General of Florida. Yep. He and many other people have said that if you take the COVID-19 vaccine as a, say, an 18-year-old male, you're more at health risk in terms of serious hospitalization or death from the vaccine than you are from COVID-19. I don't think you need a medical degree to figure that out here in 2022. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't don't know why anyone needs the vaccine right now. I mean, if you're elderly and you're, you know, there's, you're at a high-risk group or you're immunocompromised, Sure, take it if that'll help reduce the severity. But for younger people, I don't see the difference. I, you know, they're still requiring it in like in California. You can't even, in many cases, you still can't even go to school as a child unless you have the COVID vaccine. And now that it's been approved, the booster has been approved for five and up. I mean, that's getting required in some places. I just, Whoa. yeah. Oh, what? Yeah. The, what? the for children? Yeah. The booster. The, the specific uh, om, Omicron booster just got approved for the Pfizer one for children five and up. No, I, I know that it had been approved. I, I didn't realize. I know a lot of universities and community colleges had required that. I didn't realize it went down into the K through 12. But yeah, this is just, it's very problematic. There was a guy that I know pretty well, a friend, a colleague from work, and we were sitting in front of a television and that news that you just mentioned that vaccine was approved for ages five and up came up. And I, I commented, wow, I mean, there's no way I would vaccinate my seven-year-old. And, and he said he had a seven-year-old and he said he was getting his child the vaccine. I couldn't believe it. But did he give a reason though? Like what, is he afraid his child's going to die or something? I don't know from COVID. I mean, that doesn't really happen. It's that was the sense that I got was that he thought he was protecting his child by doing this. I know that's sort of the issue. I mean, right. If you want to do it, I mean, that's fine. But I just, I feel like you don't know that the risks necessarily. I mean, it's, I, you know, look, he's a father. He has his right and his to do what he wants with his child's health. He's that, that child's guardian. And if, if he feels that the vaccine is going to be good, then, go right ahead. And I think that's fine. But 
for those of us that don't want to give that to our kids, we also should have that right. And I'm glad that most states do that because it just, to me personally, I don't really, you know, if you do a cost-benefit analysis, I don't know why you would give a vaccine to a child for something that there's really no risk anyway. Was this thing ever approved? I thought this was like a an experimental vaccine. Was it ever quote unquote approved by the FDA? Yeah, it was approved. Okay. It was approved. There was a real push for the emergency use authorization approval. And that was really done by the Trump administration and by uh Azar, who was uh, you know, Alex Azar. I think he was he was the health and human services secretary who was previously at Eli Lilly (laughs) before he became the HHS secretary under Trump. So you can see that again. So it was that that emergency youth authorization was being pushed really early on. And I can see why they were doing it. In those early days, nobody really knew what was happening. But once it became clear that it that COVID was sort of less deadly than the flu, I mean, this whole push to go crazy on the, the vaccine to me seemed a little misguided. No, absolutely. Um, by the way, that Florida Surgeon General tweet was was hidden so that nobody could see it. Twitter, Twitter memory hold that one pretty quick, and he has been discredited by all the experts with you know fact checking and everything. You mean the quote unquote experts, right? The the quote unquote experts that totally botched this response have fact checked him to death, etc. And I think I have a feeling we're gonna you know this episode of the Midnight Ride is now going to be hidden so that it cannot be seen, given that we're discussing the vaccine. Probably. If it's not hidden, I, I do hope that we get one of those disclaimer things, you know, COVID-19 disclaimer, much like our tweet of the week had, so that people know, oh, this is something the elites don't want us to hear, then maybe that can get us, uh, you know, that might double or triple our listenership for this this one episode. Yeah, if we get, if you see us, all of our listeners out there, you see us would get a disclaimer, please send that to everybody. Make sure that everybody sees the disclaimer and, and send it to your friends, retweet it. Give us five stars on this episode because we just want to show the elites out there that when we speak our mind and, and talk the truth, that makes us even more popular. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, we have a president who says, the pandemic is over, and in many, and it, and he's right; it is over now. Well, except for the fact that they just reauthorized the COVID emergency for another few weeks, that they just keep doing in perpetuity. Well, it because it gave them power, right? All of the stuff like the student loan bribe and everything else could all be done under the auspices of this emergency. But the president said it's over. I agree with him. But as we go to the the voting booth in a couple of weeks. There are a lot of governor's races that are very contested right now. I think there are 10 quote unquote toss-ups. Nine of them are currently are state houses that are currently occupied by a Democrat. Yep. Oregon is one that's the, even the most interesting one of, of those governor's races. I was I was just gonna say, I mean, some of these states, and by the way, these are ones that were fully on board with vaccine mandates and all of the other restrictive state policies for COVID. New York is in play. Oregon is in play. There are many states that that if voters go to the voting polls and they remember back to 2020, 2021, they might remember how their governor, Michigan, is, is, pos- is a possibility. You know, this could be 
a very bad thing for the Democrats if these vaccines and the state responses, which were very authoritarian, Paul, if those are in the voters' minds, it could be a big boon for It is. You saw what happened in Virginia and New Jersey last year. I mean, those were both of those states were extremely authoritarian when it came to COVID. I remember Governor Blackface Northam closed the schools. I mean, it was like almost indefinitely for like a year uh, in Virginia. And then when they opened again, the kids had to be like six feet apart. They had to sit. They couldn't even go to recess. They couldn't do anything. New Jersey was just as bad. And then you saw what happened in 2021. So granted, it's a little bit harder when you have a higher turnout like that in a regular midterm. But I I do think we're going to see some surprises. And I think COVID is going to be a huge part of it. You know, you just mentioned something that is, we're not going to know the full effects of this for some time, but we're sort of seeing it now. Two out of every three working aged, or maybe it's one out of three, one out of three working aged, able-bodied male adults are idle you see only 24% of 18 and up are even eligible to serve in the United States Armed Forces. You see purple-haired and pink-haired freaks defacing Van Gogh paintings and, and, and doing all sorts of ridiculous look-at-me, virtue-signaling, vandalism, et cetera. Did you know I even saw a study recently of babies that were born, like they were a certain age during the lockdown, we're actually now later to speak their first words than babies that were not. Uh, I mean, the, the effects that some of these policies have had on our children, it's going to take some years to figure it out. But the policies of Anthony Fauci and a lot of these governors who shut down schools. Now, some states, you know, they, they, set, they recognize the error of their ways much more quickly. And they open the schools a lot more quickly and got kids in there. Those kids are going to do a little bit better. But writ large, as a country, we let our children down. And um, and that's something that I think the nation is going to pay a heavy price for. I fully, fully agree. The, the 15 days to stop the spread, I think when Trump, as I said last week, when Trump listened to Fauci, I think that was a fatal, fatal error that also then gave, sort of even pushed some you know, conservative-leaning governors into lockdowns that they didn't even want to do. And uh, I think that was a a major, a major issue. Very true. Again, I'll just reiterate in case people weren't listening to that episode, I'm sort of defending him as, hey, this is something we don't, I mean, you trust the experts in a situation like that. But a year later, Joe Biden, there's no excuse for those policies. When we come back, listen, Paul's going to talk about a court case that we should all be listening to. And it's the it's the Sixth Circuit court case that deals with the government seizing property. We thought we got rid of this a long, long time ago with this great document called the U.S. Constitution. But if you own a home, if you own a boat or any other property, you're going to want to listen to this next segment of The Midnight Ride. Stay tuned. if there's one thing that Americans hold dear, and really all humans hold dear, but especially Americans, it's property. And the American dream, one of the central tenets of that dream is owning your own home. You know, for you and I, I only own one. I think you have several, but (laughs) owning a home. 28, 30, who 
who was it? Dr. Oz couldn't remember how many homes he owned. I can't remember which one. It was like uh, Dr. Oz. <laughs> 30, 32, 33 tops. I can't it's remember. looking like Dr. Oz has a good chance now, which I'm, <laughs> I know. I'm happy to report. <laughs> but w- when you bought your first home, when I bought my home, it was sort of like, okay, we can exhale now. We made it. We have this stability in our lives. And it's, it, it's a great thing. And, and it's something that, unfortunately, under Joe Biden, fewer and fewer Americans are, are able to do now in just two years' time. But once you get your home, you want to hang on to it. And the last thing you need is some bureaucrat knocking on your door and saying, remember this house that you thought was yours? It's ours now. I didn't know this stuff was going on until you called me on Sunday. Yeah, this is an interesting thing. So something, okay, so this something actually happened with my mom a few years ago that kind of brought this up. She got a letter from the government. I won't say which one, but let's just say it was... uh, dark blue. You mean, you mean which state government you mean? Yeah. 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 Okay. It was actually district of Columbia. So I'll just say it. So it was the DC. So it, you know, really as, as far to the left as you can get, she got a pricey homes. Yeah. She got an email. She got a, a letter saying that informing her that her home is being seized by the government and put up for auction What? because she failed to pay her property taxes. So she had like one million in property taxes or something? No, it was like three thousand dollars, something like that. <laughs> and I think our, I think the equity in the home was like half a million dollars, <laughs> something, something like that. You owe us. <laughs> excuse me. You have three unpaid parking tickets. We're taking your car now. Yeah, exactly. That that was like exactly what what happened. And apparently. The wrong address was entered, so the property tax bill got mailed to the wrong place, and it wasn't like auto-debited for some reason. My mom, you know, who's in her late 70s, had no idea about the bill. It's interesting, though, that they sent her a letter saying that they were taking her house, but she hadn't gotten any letters about, hey, pay this bill. Seemed a little <laughs> under underhanded to me, right? Well, And I always thought, how can the government just do this? Well, something popped up uh, just the other day. The Sixth Circuit ruled that the government cannot seize homes based on uh, tax debt. Apparently, there was like a case in England, or in Michigan, not England, Michigan, where there was one that happened in a different case where the state of Michigan had seized the entire value of a $24,500 Five hundred dollar home in order to pay off an eight dollar and forty one percent or eight dollar and forty one cent tax delinquency, and uh, they actually seized it. Yes, they seized the house. It, uh, okay, <laughs> and then you know, there's another one, a case. It's called Hall versus Meisner that the government cannot seize $300,000 in home equity to pay off a $22,000 property tax delinquency. They called it home equity theft, and it qualifies as a taking, which requires the government to pay just compensation under the takings clause of the Fifth Amendment to the Constitution. So what it really requires, it says, if the government has a reason or is going to take something based on that, they have to provide just compensation. So if they take say, a home that has 300000 in tax equity, in equity, you take away the $22,000 property tax so that the government should then have to write you a check for $278,000.
But that has not been happening. The government just takes the house and sells it and then appropriates the rest of the money to the general. Wow. Well, yes. So you mentioned the Fifth Amendment of the Constitution. It says that no person shall be deprived of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, nor shall private property be taken for public use without just compensation. I kind of tend to think that if you got a couple hundred or you got a hundred thousand dollars in equity, you can pay an eight dollar and forty one cent tax bill if need be. And the same thing with your mom and any and in any of these people. The sixth. Yeah, I mean, people should obviously people should be responsible to pay their property taxes. However, let's remember in some states, I mean, where you bought, let's say, especially those that are elderly. I mean, let's say they bought a home thirty years ago for for 30 grand and now it's worth a million and they're on a fixed income and their property taxes have gone up to God knows what, where it's like more per year than what they actually paid for the house. You know, that doesn't, just because the house is worth that much, that doesn't mean you can afford to pay the taxes every year. Yeah, no, that, that's, that's absolutely true. Yeah, so the fact that the government can take, and, and a lot of governments have sort of responded to that by limiting the amount that, the property taxes can go up each year. But, uh, you know, the states have been sort of building their own laws on this. Some states, you know, allow the the state to take the, the house more easily. Some don't. And, you know, I guess there had been a ruling that the ta- previously there had been a debate saying that the takings clause of the Fifth Amendment does not allow, you know, state law kind of overrides that. So they were trying to, to determine, say that, the, but this case says, and I think they're right, that the legal, broader legal principles of the Constitution constrain the states. So this is going to be really interesting because I wonder, obviously, property taxes to me seem like unconstitutional anyway. I mean, I don't, I don't understand why, because you own property, why you should have to pay a tax on that, especially to pay public school systems that half the time we throw all the money down the toilet and most, a lot of parents don't even send their kids to public schools. But it doesn't make a lot of sense. Maybe there's a better way for the government to enforce this. You know, couldn't you garnish wages? Could you do something else as opposed to taking a house? Yeah, well, the Sixth Circuit, for those who don't know, is based out of Cincinnati. And we all have Judge Raymond Kethledge, who was the author of that opinion, to thank for this ruling. I just sort of think you're absolutely right. I mean, it seems unconstitutional that something that you bought that you would have to continue to pay, and then it can fluctuate in many in most states that can continue to go up. And so, as you said, seniors and other people are at risk of losing everything. This is government run amok. This is, we say, of the people, by the people, and for the people. It's not really for the people, Paul, in most cases, because if, the, if not for this ruling, maybe your mom and maybe many other people could stand to lose their homes for owing a very small amount of money. It, it's, it sounds like something of the absurd, but this is where we live. And we, we're on the freest nation on earth. I mean, imagine, I mean, many other countries, you, you can't even have property like this. Well, I live in the freest, I mean, I'm in Florida in what is the freest state in the freest nation on earth, which probably Florida is the freest place on earth. And they can take your house and tax sale. So it doesn't, I mean, it, it goes to, I mean, almost all the states allow this. And it, it reminds me too, remember that 
seeing a few years ago news about that civil asset forfeiture. Like if you get, you heard stories about people getting pulled over on the highway for speeding or something, and they have like cash in a duffel bag for some, you know, they could be moving or they don't have a bank account or whatever, and who knows what it is. And then the the state trooper or whatever sees the the money and just takes it all. <laughs> and give and then the police department uses it for their general fund. Yeah, and I mean and sometimes you don't even have dupe, you know, any any recourse, right? Well, no, it's I mean they do it in a way where it's so hard to get it back, you might end up having to spend more money on lawyers than the actual money that they took. So, you literally have almost no recourse. It could take years to get your money back and at that point you spent more than you actually lost. Well, you know, this is why people distrust the government, you know, because these are not, these are right now somewhat isolated cases, but there are probably, I think it's safe to say, Paul, that there are tens of thousands of Americans who have had Uncle Sam or local officials steal from them legally. Yeah. I don't under, and it's, people need to know about this. I mean, this can happen. You get on the wrong side of the government they could just take everything you have and do it legally and the legal steps to you know save your your house or your savings or whatever are so onerous that people a just give up or they can't even afford to defend it and the government's like all right we got your stuff bye you know i mean this is just it's hard to imagine that this can happen in the united states but it does and this is why this is sort of tied to our last topic in the sense that this is why state elections are so important and who wins these governor races. And we have a lot of those around the country that are being contested right now. Even you mentioned the freest state in the union, Florida, Governor Ron DeSantis is on the ballot and there is a big government candidate running against him. Always vote for the candidate who espouses limited government, small government. I know that that's few and far between because People tend to run for office because they want to get their hands into things. But it's these state races that matter so very much. And voters need to hear about these things. That's why we started this podcast. We did. It's funny. Uh, I was watching TV with my son yesterday and a commercial, an anti-Charlie Crist commercial comes on. And and it, it says, you know, Charlie Crist putting Floridians last. And, you know, it's I love to hear these things from a seven-year-old, you know, he said, he goes, why would anyone vote for a person that puts them last, that puts Florida last? I said, you know what? That's a very good question. You know, you're, you're wise beyond your years, young man. You know, you and I have been football fans for a very long time. I think you're a fan of, well, we'll just say it, Michigan. Great. I mean, a, a big win this past weekend against Penn State. I can't find my team, Hillsdale College. I can't find them on the television, but if you're watching, well, your old team, your old team, Notre Dame lost to Stanford yesterday. I heard that, I heard <laughs> <that>. <laughs> but they are your old team. So I guess it doesn't matter, but Hillsdale. All right. I want, I, I watched the game. Okay. Those of us of Irish descent, you know, we, we root for the fighting Irish. It was, it was a brutal, we got screwed on a, on a, actually on a, on a replay, you know, the, the other team fumbled it. It was clearly a fun. Well, it wasn't, that clearly, but the initial call on the field was, anyway, the Irish lost. Congratulations to Stanford. But if you've been watching college football, you've been seeing- Yeah, how did the Hillsdale Chargers do? That's like the most important 
team that we watch. Yeah, I, they were undefeated a couple of weeks ago. I'll, I'll, I'll have to check. They do have a football team. It's great. But there's a lot of these ads on during the games, right? Because they know that they can reach a lot of people during these broadcasts. And, I, you know, you see an ad for a candidate. There was one sequence where I saw four ads in a row, and there were two for each candidate, one pro and one against, paid for by packs and everything. It was almost comical, you know, but if you, if a seven-year-old who believes just anything that's coming on there, if you believed everything that these people were saying, you would think that Ron DeSantis was the, the right hand of God as well as the devil himself. It's just, it's almost comical to see some of these ads. Yeah, the bill, the billboards in Florida, the Charlie Crisp billboards say that I was driving the other day, saw the billboard, it said, Ron DeSantis anti-freedom, anti-woman. Wow. That, uh, that, that's, so, that's about as patently false of a claim that anybody can make. But let's see how that works out for, for the Democrats here in a couple of weeks. <laughs> I know, and good old, good old Charlie, if, however we want to call him, the, the, the biggest political chameleon in the history of politics. Absolutely. Well, well, Paul, we've got a big couple of weeks ahead. How would you like to close out this program? Well, early voting is starting in a lot of states. I think in some states it's already it's already begun. Get out there and vote. Don't wait till the last minute. You know, you never know uh, if you get out there, you get caught in traffic, you're trying to do it after work, you can't vote. We have to vote. Get that vote in. So look, go to your county website, get on social media for whatever your county is, find out where you vote, find out when early voting starts, get that done. Do it in person. Don't do it in a Dropbox. Don't mail it in. You just don't know. U.S. mail service, whatever it is, I would get that vote in in person. I would start right away. Um, I think early voting in Florida starts uh, in 10 days. I think in Georgia, it's starting even sooner. I think in other states, it's already started. Let's do it. Time is running out. Let's uh, let's make our voices heard this year. Absolutely. And all like-minded Christians, Muslims, Jews, conservatives, Republicans, Democrats, people who care about this country need to get out there and vote. This past week, the indexes for the inflation and everything else indicate that the Biden recession is about to get much worse. We've got problems with crime, immigration, the COVID restrictions, all of it. Everything matters on November 8th. Get out there. One more thing I'd like to say before we go. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing this podcast with your friends. If you are listening to us on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, please give us a five-star rating. Uh, our brand new YouTube channel, The Midnight Ride Podcast, like and subscribe. We thank you so much for listening to The Midnight Ride, and we hope you enjoy our take every week on how to preserve our freedoms. And remember, you hold all the power. Exercise it on November 8th and exercise it every day. Never apologize. Never take a knee to the left. Thank you for listening to the Midnight Ride podcast, and we will see you next week. Have a great one.